calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Yeah, sort of being considerate on a basic level, sadly, was not a standard I had until my 30s. But once I put that into my dating standards, it's really made dating a lot better for me. Like, (laughs) I don't date that much. But now when I do date someone, they at least show interest in me. Welcome back to another episode of Awkward Sex in the City, where we just get into it, right? We talk all the things all the time, and you're back because you want to hear who I've got this week. I do apologize for the delay. I got sick. I'm saying it's bronchitis. That's not an official diagnosis, but it was a pretty gnarly cold and nothing popped positive. No um, hand, foot, and mouth disease like the summer. No strep, COVID, flu, all that jazz. And then I heard a friend that I had saw right before I got really sick was getting over bronchitis. And I was like, that is it. Because they were like, she's hacking up a lung. And I was like, I too am hacking up a lung. Um, which I don't know about you. This is not important at all. Anytime I get a cold with with a you know a gnarly cough, then I get like a dry cough for a week. And there's nothing worse than getting a dry cough attack on the subway in New York City. The looks that you get. And it's actually one of my worst memories in the city. This was back, I want to say 2016. I was living in Crown Heights. I was an assistant for people that lived in like the Upper West Side. It was an hour commute. And the train, I clearly am just so disgustingly sick. I want to say it was probably like a pretty bad flu. Anywho, but you know, 2016, we still went to work. Do you know what I mean? Like we still, I just coughed in their faces all all week. You know, they didn't didn't fucking care. Anyhow, on the train, I'm getting over the flu. So now the dry cough is coming into play and the train stalls. What does that mean? If you've never been on a stalled train, it just fucking stops. Right. And usually it's for a couple minutes. This stalls for like 20 fucking minutes and I get a dry cough attack. I have no water on me. I have no cough drops. I am like basically almost throwing up and it's freaking people out to the point that they have now walked to the other side of the car. And I will never forget feeling more 
disgusted myself ever. Like I felt like a leper, like no one wanted to touch me or, or, or be around me, which, because right, that's what you do in that situation. Finally, one lady was like, you good? You're going to vomit? Because we're not wearing, we're not wearing masks in 2016. You're just seeing me like turn red, purple in the face, trying to hold in these coughs. So it looks like I'm holding a vomit. And she was like, you going to vomit? And I was like, no, I'm not going to vomit. But I'm not, you know, I can't say that because I'm coughing up a fucking lung. So finally, train goes. I get off at the next stop, still in Brooklyn, and I just like get off because I'm so embarrassed and just like hacking into a um like garbage can in in the on the platform. And then I just go to work, right? I just go to work after that. That should have been the moment that I was like, you know what? Today I go back home. Today is a day where I don't work as an assistant or babysitter. I think I was doing multiple jobs that day. Anyhow, um, so yeah, anytime I get a cold, I'm like, no, dry cough. But now I've learned to just accept it and it is what it is. Like I had, <laughs> we went to Peter Luger's with some of our friends and I had a coughing attack. And the waiters there are very like receptive of you. So I'm like waiting to get into this bathroom. Turns out I just didn't open the door correctly. And the guy's like, can I get you, can I get you some water? And then finally he was like, just go in the men's bathroom. And I was like, you saint of a man, thank you. I shall. I shall ruin some man's day when he's like, I must poop after the steak because you got to poop after steak. I don't know what I'm saying anymore. This has nothing to do with the podcast. And I just, again, have to thank you for going on this weird little journey with me and where I talk more about my neuroses and things I'm really afraid of. And one of my biggest fears in New York City is getting a coughing attack on a stalled train. It sucks. It sucks. Anyways, I think it's just a very New York experience. We all get coughing attacks, but have you done it on a train? Have you had people like be horrified by your existence from coughing? Welcome to New York, as Taylor says. Um, that's why that song pisses me off because she goes, and I, I'm a Swifty, but she goes like, welcome to New York. It's been waiting for you. New York waits for fucking no one, okay? New York doesn't give a shit about you, which we talked about this in the episode. Okay, this episode is so fucking... I was going to say fun. It's so good. It's just such a good episode and it is fun and it's deep and we go everywhere. And my guest today, I just fucking love this person. I love her art. I love her comedy. I just admire her so much and everything she does and like represents. And I just, I'm so glad I was able to get her on the, the pod today. Um, I have Marsha Belsky with me. And unfortunately this episode is going to come out after her New York comedy show, Evangelical. But actually I just bought tickets for me and my husband because it's just going to be such a fucking riot, which is, it's November 12th, but this is going to come out afterwards after, anyways. But you should go see her live. If you're in New York City, she's all around. You absolutely should go see her. She tours as well. And then if you can't, go follow her on the socials. So it's Marsha Ski, but it's spelled like Marsha and then S-K-Y, right? Marsha Ski on the socials. And just go look at look her up on YouTube. Go find um, 100 Tampons. It's probably like her most popular song. Um, I just fucking love everything she has written just a fucking genius and we just go we go everywhere in this episode we get weird which i love i love when a guest is so willing to just get weird and talk about everything so we talk about religion we talk about death a lot we circle back to death a lot we circle back to religion we talk about relationships like what we need what we're looking for situationships have they made it made it better or worse what what happened like in new york in in COVID, you know, what, what changed? What did we learn? What did we grow? Cause she also stayed in New York when COVID hit and how much it's affected us. And maybe that is just like a New York 
phenomenon just because of of the dynamic of the city and like you know just being this small tall city and how that changed things but I know it's three years later almost four years later but this podcast is never not going to talk about COVID I will never listen to my COVID episodes ever again um I just can't I said what I said and I reacted how I reacted in you know every episode um I'm usually really sad there's crying someone I was on a podcast um a couple weeks ago and they listened to one and they were like, you were going through it. And I was like, I was, I was going through it. Um, and it was, you know, a great platform for me to feel safe and kind of let y'all know what we were going through, you know, in New York, it was a crazy fucking time. We've not dealt with it fully and truly even, I honestly feel like even being in therapy, you know, through it all still have we really dealt with it. Anyhow, we don't talk about COVID 24 seven, but it's talked about and just how the city and us as a community changed. And I just can't wait to hear your thoughts. Remember to rate, like, subscribe, review, uh, go follow Awkward Sex in the City on the socials. Uh, the next show in New York City is the 15th this Wednesday, which I'm not sure if this podcast is coming out before or after. It doesn't matter. If you are, come, 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 come to Club Coming is what I was trying to say. Come to Club Coming. It's a great venue. And then we are in Boston on December 9th at the Rockwell Theater. And then we are in Chicago, the 15th and the 16th at Color Club, again in Chicago. Really excited. Haven't been to Chicago since pre-COVID. So it's going to be a blast. We can't wait. We'll see you soon. I'll see you on the other side of this episode. Well, I do want to say right off the top, um, crap, when is your show again? I think it's going to come out. This is going to come like the day after your show. Evan uh, Evangelical. November 12th. Sunday, November 12th. Ah, oh my God. That's so okay. soon. I'm so excited for you. Is that Littlefield? It's at Union Hall for New York Comedy New Fest. 7.30, <laughs> Sunday, November 12th. And you know, if it's already past that date for the pod, then everyone can just listen to my album on Spotify at all, Apple. And I have a new album coming out soon, which I'm excited about. I have some of the songs that I didn't get on that one, like Cops on Horses and Everyone Should Be My Exact Same Age. Um, oh my God, so that I'm one's really so good. I love that. All your songs are Sometimes so fucking that good. that song gets such a like bleak reaction where people like really get sad about it. Cause I just talk about how like when you talk to a 22 year old, it kind of makes you remember that you're gonna die and that people aren't really gonna care that much, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and people like some like most audiences are cool like but sometimes you'll get like a kind of uptight crowd and you just hear like oh like jesus like you know, like what y'all don't think about this 24 7 death and relevancy and uh existentialism not you okay Must I, be think nice. about, I think about death every day um i have two quick things i'm babysitting right now one of the kids is five and he brings up death every chance he can like i was I, I don't know what i said yesterday but i was like yeah like you're a kid right now and then one day you'll be an adult and that'll be cool you can have like ice cream whatever like i think i said something dumb like that and he was like but then i'm closer to being dead and i was like you're not <laughs> wrong and he's like i just don't want to die and i was like yeah me neither and he's like but what if we did it and i was like i you know maybe you figured out and he was just like i'm just not ready for death and i'm like you're five i can't can we just i was that kid your lego right oh, i was that I, kid at age seven, I remember like figuring out that we were going to die. And then I remember figuring out that kids could die because at first you think only old people die. And mm -hmm. then I remember figuring out, oh, no, you can die at any time. You just hope to kind of get old. 
And that shit was not okay with me. I said, enough mm. is enough. I was like, that, <laughs> what the hell, mom? Why would you bring me into this world? I lost my shit. And because also, like, I had really practical parents, and my dad's like religious, but like, my mom is religious, but sort of atheist. And I was like, is there a heaven? And she was like, we don't know. <laughs> and I'm like, wow. Like, like, I get jealous of people where they just like, age six, they're like, heaven is real. No more thoughts about it. I'm happy. I'm done. And I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, that would be so nice. That would be so I, nice to just not doubt. Right. And it's hard too. Cause like I, you know, I have a couple of nieces and nephews and my sister-in-law was very like, we're not bringing like, you know, religion into death. And, but their kid goes, I think to like a, like a Presbyterian or Christian like day school and their dog passed away like a year or two ago. And then all of a sudden he was saying to me, he kept being like, he's up his name is buddy buddy's up in the trees and i was like i was like kate what does that mean and she was like well their fucking teacher taught them about fucking heaven so now he won't stop talking about buddy being in the trees because that's where he thinks heaven is and i was in like, the oh trees and i was like i'd be so fucking pissed and she like doesn't know how to handle i mean she's a great mom she definitely knows how to handle it but she was just like yeah you just kind of have to like you know, accept that this is something that he knows now and like go from there. But because me and my husband, we want to have a kid too, but we're like, so like no religion, no religion at all. Like I'm fully atheist. My husband's like agnostic. Like he thinks something out there, but I'm like, no, I want our kid to know they die. They go into the ground. They become a tree. <laughs> nothing else happens. But and I didn't like, like that either. I had like grandma, my grandma was kind of like that. My mom would be like, well, your grandma thinks just like nothing happens. And I was just like, that is so fucked up like <laughs> i was like how dare you i'm like and, and she I mean, was my grandma was so chill about death even though that's what she believed and i'm like that's true bravery like i'm trying to get there but right i still my think i'm gonna is, come back as a cat i can see that i wouldn't <laughs> mind if something happened like if something happened afterwards i'd be like so cool so it's kind of like you know under like you know don't over promise like under deliver and under promise and then you die and you're yeah. like oh cool no here's all these right like we are in the trees great love it how <laughs> the trees how sweet <laughs> when you die you just climb like three feet up a tree and just have to chill there for eternity and kind of watch it and there's bugs everywhere and you're like ugh this sucks also... my biggest fear is purgatory honestly because oh. I feel like when I imagine what that is like that would be my biggest fear like where one time I was on this elevator that just felt like it never it was like felt like it never was gonna land it was just going forever because mm -hmm. we were on like the hundred and billionth floor or whatever and I was thinking to myself like this is purgatory like you're just like on an elevator and you don't you're never landing you're just like constantly going and I'm like that would be true torture to me so oh yeah. you know I'm like trying to be bad or good enough that I don't get the <laughs> purg hell would probably be like, worse though i don't want hell either being raised catholic purgatory was really like and i went to catholic school it was really like used as like a punishment like they're like man if you make it to purgatory you really kind of fucked up too like you really don't know what's gonna happen and then as someone with like ocd and like just complete you know huge full-blown anxiety disorder you're like that is the worst like yeah, i'd rather just causing know. mental disorders in kids <laughs> by being like imagine hellfire or at you know or if you're just kind of a boring dud that never did good or bad mm -hmm. um you're just, you're just kind of a know, nobody yeah and then the person lecturing you is molesting kids no i'm just kidding <laughs> yeah. sorry oh no 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 but you're right i mean that's part of the reason why like i'm full-blown atheist now i'm very like not 
I'm not anti-Catholic, but I'm just like, you know what? This institutionalized religion, anti-institutionalized religion. I've been feeling that more and more. Because anybody in power corrupts, like, or just like has an agenda, and it just. Mm -hmm. And it's also churches. I watched that Hillsong documentary, and churches are like, it's really it. I mean, it's it's horrifying, but I felt like it was well done. I will say that I, to me, I'm the biggest sucker. I'm their target audience for a documentary because. I might as well be like Joe Rogan. I'm so easily swayed. Like I just want like <laughs> documentaries have such an agenda and like have a clear like thing they're trying to make you think. And I have a friend who works in documentaries. So like when she watches documentaries, she can see what they're trying to make you feel and think mm. critically about that. I watch a documentary and I'm like, wow, that that's fucked up. That's fucked up. <laughs> and that's true. Like, so I'm like, let me just tell the listeners that. But um, because I'm honest, but like, so, but I, I thought it was good. And like one of the points that it pointed out and same with that documentary they made about the Dugers, the um big, cause I grew up with a bunch of evangelicals. So I'm kind of obsessed with them, like in a sick way in the way that like I'm fascinated by Mormons and mm-hmm. Scientologists, like, but um, they talk about how churches are just worldwide, perfect places to hide um, mm-hmm. basically pedophiles because like they, it's so much harder to prosecute within a church because they have such specific rules in terms of how they're like handle things internally and how they don't pay taxes and how the power structure exists like next to law enforcement and political power structures where they get a lot of protection before those things get involved. Like the community tries to solve it themselves, quote unquote, for years and years and years before alerting anybody on the outside. And then the person who alerts the outside is like the snitch and the traitor and like, you know, mm-hmm. so I just thought I was like, I'd never really thought about it that way because across all institutions, you see this same thing kind of happening, like whether it's like exploitation on various levels, you know, with that being like arguably kind of the worst thing that happens. And then it's because it, the system is set up to protect it. So people kind of go there seeking that. And then you have mm-hmm. a ton of just normal good people around them who are sort of bystanders to this agenda from certain mm-hmm. bad people you know what i mean mm-hmm. i think there are some religious leaders who are great who are good but if the system is set up like that mm-hmm. it's gonna keep happening like mm-hmm. you know it's fucked up it's so crazy it makes me think of also um a documentary i watched a long time ago go called jesus camp which i feel like you love because it's about the that documentary children. changed my life I saw that mm-hmm. in high school because I was in Oklahoma and I'm Jewish and I had a teacher who I was really struggling just like the, my last two years of high school being in Oklahoma. And he told me to watch that film and remind myself that I'm not the crazy one. <laughs> and it really mm-hmm. kind of like helped me out a lot. That movie's fucked up. It's so hard to to watch. Like, I think another thing, this is the episode about religion. Another And religion comes up a lot, <laughs> a lot, a lot on Awkward Sex because how much it affects us on our day-to-day and like this is how yeah, it affects like, our sexuality and for can, sure. Oh my God, so much. But I also, I think for me, one, the most incestuous part besides like all the other things is how like it starts so young. Like the children are so young and we are going to trust the adults no matter what. We always are. Like, why would we not? And we're being kind of fed maybe not on, not on purpose like i feel like everyone usually has like good intentions like but these lies and like these ideas of like who you are and like you know sex is bad and um like my sex ed was 
literally uh, a nun telling us to become a nun because you should never have sex. Like sex <laughs> is bad. And you're in eighth grade and you're just like, what? And it's 12 girls and two boys. And, you know, half of us are probably lesbian or bi. And we don't even realize it yet because, you know, we're told over and over again, like how bad these things are. And like Harry Potter, like makes lesbians. And you're like, I'm sorry, <laughs> what? Like, so I do, I get really, I get really like. That's so funny. Passionate That's so about fucked it. up I... that she told you guys not to have sex and you're that young. Like, it's like, listen, mm-hmm. lady, just because you're scared of it. Like, don't put that on me. Oh yeah, my those God. are my. My two memories of sex ed are is that in eighth grade and then in ninth grade I went to a public high school and they were teaching us about like herpes and this one girl next to me was like you can feel the bumps so it's okay like just don't have sex with them if you feel bumps in their penis and I remember being like what's a penis like what is she, <laughs> what is she talking about like I was such like a a late bloomer when it came to that stuff in so many ways and it was so intimidating and horrifying and then I was so afraid of penises because of like all of this I didn't give head till I was 23 no yeah I was 23 I'd had sex but I'd never gave head and I was so fucking proud of that too I'd be like no thank you they like pull it out and be like would you would you like to have fun with it and I was like no I don't want to I don't know if you've got bumps you know I don't know if you got bumps in your penis the bumps for the bit i remember them being like look for the bumps and then of course you hook up for the first time and it's like dark and you're like trying to like (laughs) inconspicuously like look and then you know it's still scary like that like it's still scary i just yeah they teach you all this like horrifying (laughs) stuff and then they're like go have fun they're like this is chlamydia (laughs) <laughs> okay kids. this is the, like something oh sorry go on no like they try and scare you but then they also if we had systems set up like we know what stis are we know mm-hmm. that safe practices help things and instead like they do this abstinence training especially in oklahoma Mm-hmm. that just like because everybody knows that the people who were told to be the at least in my experience i guess not always but the the girls especially i knew that came from the most like abstinent type religions and households they did sexual stuff super early because mm-hmm. i think they just felt so caged in you know oh, so yeah. i just don't think that it like helps anything even if your goal is to make kids not have sex i don't think that's how you do it like Oh, yeah. And I don't know if it's like, you know, I'm from Virginia. So I went to school in Virginia. Also, you know, not Midwest, but South have some intense feelings for religion and like, and sex ed and stuff. And just to go off of your point. Yeah, like the the girls that I knew that were like, super like maybe Southern Baptist, very like in their like church groups, whatever. I also got intervention once I forgot they found out I was Catholic, and they brought me to a Southern Baptist like thing. And the and the (laughs) preacher was like, just literally being like, you need, you, this is a problem. Like you need to be with us. Like you that can't be Catholic to me anymore. with the evangelicals a hundred percent. They're like, you go to a sleepover and they're like, come to church with me the next day. You're like, sure. Like I would take my friends yes. to synagogue. And then you get there and some adult person is like, Hey, I'm so sorry, but you are going to hell. And you're like, I'm <laughs> seven. it's so fucking (laughs) weird oh man and they're your friends too so you kind of go along with it for a second and then I remember I think the moment I was like 
piece was like the the preacher dude whatever and his wife were like yeah we didn't kiss until the wedding ceremony and i was like oh that's a major red flag like that's a that's not okay oh at all oh my god was yeah. this the 1800s like yeah and then so most- crazy. my biggest nightmare is like you know like that thing where like you have like a texting kind of like relationship with somebody and then you actually kiss and it's like not good yeah. What if that was your marriage? What if like you even like you've never met and then it's just bad and then it stays bad? Uh, I think about how many women were trapped. One time I was like at a party, like I was deciding to make this potato latkes and I was shredding a bunch of potatoes by hand and getting so tired. And I went to my I thought to myself, like, this would have just been my life 80 years ago, like six ungrateful kids while I'm shredding these <laughs> potatoes like I am trying I cherish every single moment of freedom like mm-hmm. I just am so grateful to have not been forced into marriage I think about <laughs> it so often actually I'm grateful I mean I think it's like ancestors coming through me being like cherish it cherish it my dear. like <laughs> get on stage stage tell them yeah and it's weird get too, on stage. Like, they're like I never held a microphone <laughs> talk about the horse cuffs that's what your ancestors <laughs> wanted and, but yeah, some radicalized like, ancestors yeah <laughs> i mean but they you were radicalized after death you definitely did though you had that one joke i was a long time ago but you were like if you're it was like if you're jewish and you're here it's because your like ancestors were like the vibes were off like i can't remember like something like along those lines and i was like oh my god that's 100 oh, right I think like, that was i don't think that was my joke I, but i i know which joke you're talking about because somebody tweeted that um oh was and it, it was it was like if you're jewish and survived it's because you had an ancestor that felt the vibes were off like mm-hmm. yeah it's true so many people too like everyone who comes from like diaspora are like survived people it's mm-hmm. like that's why my instincts it's so hard to talk down my anxiety and to be on high alert because they know that that shit is genetic and like gets mm-hmm. passed down generational whatever and then it's like you know I can feel sometimes the anxiety just come up on high alert and it's, it's hard to distinguish between like, no, listen to this, let's Mm -hmm. go versus, you know, just chill out, be on the beach. Don't think about, (laughs) don't think about whatever you're paranoid about. It's hard too, because it's so right. Like we now have total access to information 24 7 where like you know people in the past didn't because yeah gut instinct is very true and very accurate and you should trust your gut like in those certain moments but then like you're saying how do you tell which one is like hey i should um just get off of instagram for two hours or hey this is like (laughs) this is bad like we should i remember with covid i remember with covid i was like i don't know what we should do like i remember being like i don't know if we leave or not because we ended up staying in new york city and for me the main reason was like my um my husband his uh stepdad is like 76 and i was like i cannot leave in good conscience in april of 2020 and then get your fucking you know father-in-law no stepfather sick and then have him die so we're we're Mm staying we're staying in but you know it is there that like what what is the right choice? And I feel like we're probably the same of like, you probably that was a totally triggering moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That fight or flight moment of like the beginning mm-hmm. of COVID. I remember that feeling like I stayed in New York too. Like I didn't ever think I was going to leave, but it's a scary thing. Cause like, you know, <laughs> you just kind of feel 
people are leaving and then you're like, oh, I can't even go to the grocery store without it being kind of a risk. Like we didn't even know if walking outside was like safe for a while. We're like mm-hmm. wiping down all our groceries and stuff. And it was, it just like triggers this like thing in you where you just kind of feel that that instinct and pull of like, what do I do? Do I do nothing? Do I do something? Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about how many people have gone through that and continue to. Yeah. It's so crazy. For me, it was like one of the first moments where I realized like my choices affect people. And I feel like I hadn't <laughs> dealt with that in a long time. Or it's like, oh no, my mm-hmm. personal choice will affect people that I know and do not know. And so, and what so do I many do with people that did not care about that. That was another mm-hmm. big like paradigm shift moment where you realize when your life cares about other people versus who mm-hmm. is just kind of like, hey, every man for themselves. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? Like, that's why I loved being in New York because New York has always been very community and like in some ways like hive mind based because people who live here understand that we have to coexist and we have mm-hmm. to look out for each other, even if it's just to protect yourself. And, Mm -hmm. but I think there's more community here just because we live among each other. But like, so it's like in New York, we all masked, like I, Mm -hmm. everyone I saw for the most part, besides somebody who maybe sometimes seemed a little bit off, to be honest, everybody Mm -hmm. was masked for months and months and months and months and months, like till we got vaccinated basically. Like, and then sometimes also once we learned it was safe to be outdoors, you started seeing people like walking outdoors without masks. But at the beginning of COVID, if you were on the train, if you were just walking down the street, for the most part, everybody was wearing masks. And then other places, that just wasn't true. Like yeah. other places had people would look at you funny, even if you wore a mask, like even back then. And uh, I would drove to Ohio, like got tested and stuff and went to go see my parents. And I stopped somewhere and was wearing a mask. And like, people were looking at me like I was crazy. And I'm like, I'm just so grateful to live. I was so grateful to be in New York throughout that whole thing, because ironically, around, you know, three million people, I felt safer here than I Mm -hmm. think I would have going in somewhere where people like didn't get vaccinated or like just didn't take it seriously. And just going to the grocery store carries a higher risk there because nobody's being cautious, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's like safer here in some ways. No, absolutely. And yeah, I have the same experience. I think we'd gone down to Maryland or something and like the, our family's masked, but when we go into grocery stores or something, no one did. And like, I'm such a people pleaser too. Uh, and I had to really learn to be like, no, but you feel safer in a mask. So this is what you're going to do. Like, you're going to make this choice for you or like, oh, yeah. you're not going to go to this thing because it turns out like Susie's sick, but she doesn't think it's COVID. Like you're going to cancel those plans, even though it's going to upset them. Like that was what was really huge for me too in 2020 in my relationships and like within the community of learning, like I have to really choose myself. Mm-hmm. And the big one it was for kind me of a was nice like, era where you could actually be sick and cancel. Like even mm-hmm. now there's kind of this pressure to just, <laughs> I'm like, no, like if you got a runny nose, like, but now it kind of sucks. Cause now when I get just a cold, I do feel like I kind of got to stay inside until it's fully run its course and colds take like seven to 10 days. So mm-hmm. you're out there like, trying not to cough like trying so hard not to cough being like I'm not contagious anymore I swear I promise but, yeah I just got over cold too and I just forgot how much they suck like I was ugh. like 
I was like, oh, this has to be COVID. This has to be strep. And it was like, nope, it's just a cold. It's just, just a shitty cold. cold same. Right. It's something in the air right now. And honestly, I still mask now on the train. Like oh, train and grocery too. store, I still mask. And planes. And no one does. And planes. No one does on planes. And I find that In New York, crazy. it's nice because some people still do on the train where it's like, you're not going to get looks. Like when I, I went to London mm-hmm. a couple summers ago um, after I did the, the Fringe Fest, the Edinburgh Fringe Fest. And like, I kind of feel like I feel bad because I was on the train and like nobody was masking. And I kind of like took my mask off because I felt like people were looking at me but maybe just because it was summer like you know but I felt like compared to New York you see a lot of everyday people especially older people wearing masks in New Mm -hmm. York still so I feel like I don't really get that look but yeah it's true like planes and I just feel like since I've been doing that I get sick less often and it used to be Mm -hmm. that every time I flew and every time I you know was on the train in winter I would mm-hmm. get sick. Like I would get sick two to three times a year and it just sucked every time. And I feel like since I've been masking and stuff, it just doesn't, you know, knock on wood, just doesn't mm-hmm. happen as often. No, totally. I'm like with the the new vaccine out, I'm not sure if you were able to get it yet too, just knowing that's there too. And like, I need masking. to get that. Yeah. I, I think it'll be, I think it'll be easier now. Like it was definitely like for, there was like a, I don't know. It was, insurance companies were making it weird or some shit so i think it took me like an i mean this is not bad at all but it took me like i think an hour and a half like i was an hour and a half late for my appointment because this poor one lady had to like intake all these people individually because it was everyone that did not nor could not normally go there but like the government was like paying for the covid vax or something so mm-hmm. it was just a nightmare but i don't think that'd be an issue now or if you just it's like went so to, like, crazy to think like the memories that we have, I feel like we're even already like, I suppress them in some ways. And then it'll hit me like, just remembering what it was like to go get my first vaccine shot, like how Mm -hmm. crazy it was where it's like, there's so many people and like, you're just like waiting months and months to get it. And then you get your first one, but you got to wait for your second one. And Mm -hmm. it's just such a weird time to live through history. Like, thank God to live though. Like, and it's just remembering like, how speaking of death like I feel like, that's where it's like <laughs> the the early days where it really just felt like it was taking everybody and mm-hmm. like how scary that was where you're just like you know I was 30 and it's just like all right like you know I have to now think about like what if the worst happens because we don't know when this pandemic's gonna end I had to move two months in and mm-hmm. every single time you did every little thing the stakes were will this have been worth it if I get mm-hmm. sick and, and die, like, mm-hmm. I'd be like, you know, out the, even out the park or whatever, I'd be like, I had a great time. I haven't seen people in a month, but mm-hmm. was that worth it? Like, it's just such a crazy psychological trauma for us to all have lived through. And I don't mm-hmm. think people have fully processed it. Oh, no. When that report came out, that was like minimal mental health damage or something uh, reported. And I was like, me and my husband formed a bond with swans in prospect park and saw them every day (laughs) to keep ourselves sane no like we got fucked up and when one of them died i cried for a week like i cried so hard yeah so it's like no so much is suppressed so much has not been like taken care of yet and i just also don't think like the rest of the u.s understands it because they weren't in this you know very 
congested 8.2 million people like area where every move you made affected yourself or other people and people were dropping like flies like it was so and how scary. crazy it was to see manhattan for months yes. and months and months just completely empty and the few mm-hmm. people that stayed where it's like you know we had known for a while that the whole island of manhattan below like a certain like below upper east side whatever that you basically have to be paying like three to five thousand a month and most mm-hmm. of those people have second homes or have mm-hmm. access to a second home mm-hmm. and so it was so crazy like to actually be walking through during the protests like in 2020 and to just see a completely empty city apartments mm-hmm. empty everybody who lived in those areas and then you'd see like one person in a completely empty building like Mm -hmm. waving at us and Mm -hmm. it was just so wild to see I think it was really demonstrated too how the whole the whole like people have talked for so long about people using New York as a playground and then sort of leaving as soon as it needs you or as soon as it's inconvenient or as soon as community and you just start to see exactly how that happened where it's like I feel Mm -hmm. like I've lived in New York 10 years I really feel like it's my home my community like and that's all I ever wanted was to kind of come to New York and be a part of it and be an artist here and I think that some other people come and see New York just kind of as a backdrop to their main character action in a way and use it Mm -hmm. and abuse it and we'll leave it as soon as it's hard And then they don't understand why people are upset with that. And it's like COVID, Mm -hmm. I think, was just such a good example of why. Where it's like, you're not a part of a community if you can just abandon it. And then, you know, I'm not saying every single person who left is guilty of that. I'm just talking about the sort of thing as a whole of certain people and upper class people and stuff like how they handled that. It's just not surprising. Yeah, the juxtaposition of wealth in the city is horrifying. Uh, And COVID really highlighted that. And I think everything you're saying is 100% true. And like 100%, some people left for other reasons. But when everyone was leaving and buying, you know, houses sight unseen, it was like, what a fucking luxury. Here I am at Trader Joe's deciding if I'm going to come back because they won't let us wear masks or gloves because Mm -hmm. it'll make the customers. And spreading COVID where it's like you're, mm -hmm. you're going from one place to another from a hub of an outbreak. Like Mm -hmm. they showed the maps, how that was happening. Like, and it was just kind of like, but I understand why everybody couldn't stay here. Like, you know, I totally, that's what I'm saying. Like, I know it's very case to case. I know people feel react with guilt. I don't want to make them feel bad. Mm -hmm. I just think in terms of like where people don't seem to understand why people don't like people moving here. I think Mm -hmm. it's when, when that's the behavior, that's why, because it's like, if Mm -hmm. you come, you make yourself a part of the community, you feel a responsibility to make New York a better place. That's one thing. But Mm -hmm. it's another, if you just are like, New York's so dirty and gross. Like I love living here, but like maybe I'll, you know, and it's like, yeah, it's like, then you're not, you're moving here to take it over rather than become part of Mm -hmm. part of it. You know? Yeah. I just feel like like that was such an example of that. Absolutely. And I don't even think I really got into the community part or like understood that part until COVID. Like, I don't think I'd ever called like a city official before. I don't think I'd ever really 
invested in my community in a in a better way, I guess, if that makes sense. Or like making sure like knowing people in the community in the area. Like I would never know my neighbors. I mean, I barely know we have one neighbor. We have it's like two apartments in like one building. But we know like, you know, people around the area who have, you know, unfortunately been kind of pushed out too that, you know, are still around that we talk and hang out with and see. And but you don't you don't realize it when you kind of get here at first. Like I've been here, I think, 12, 13 years, dumb baby, so, so misinformed in a lot of ways, like wanted my like New York City as a backdrop. Like I always wanted to live here. Oh, totally. It's all Hollywood and everything. We're all taught mm-hmm. that. Like that's like it's mm-hmm. a it's like part of like sort of white American brainwashing in a way of this how New York is portrayed in the media, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And New York City is magical like for anyone that's like it smells like trash it's like fuck off go to margaritaville and do your little vacation in times square um, <laughs> i have because curious, i know i know like i have because i have this one guy who he goes he's like oh, i hated new york like that and i realized i'm like it's because you couldn't be like the little darling apple of new york side like no matter how special you are you're never going to be the most special person in new york there's no most mm-hmm. special person in new york new york is magical like you said new york is unique and every person here gets to have a place among so many different people and there are people mm-hmm. where that's just unconscionable to them that they could mm-hmm. not be like the center of attention in this huge city so then they go somewhere where they can be and it's like all right that's you do you I like being like no I like a big pond like I just I like being around people who do all sorts of different things and it's just cool like you just never know who you're gonna meet and people do all sorts of jobs and it's just like it just feels like you know how adulthood was portrayed in the storybooks like, it's like... yes <laughs> everyone is so cool and so interesting like you don't meet a dud unless it's like a friend of a friend visiting for the weekend and <laughs> I mean there's obviously duds everyone's so cool everyone's and no one care. I always love that you're in this big pond and no one cares about you. Everyone, like, <laughs> if, they, if you need them, they're there. But, like, in Virginia, and I bet in Oklahoma, you have to say hi to every fucking person you see. Like, Oh, stranger. my God. It overwhelms me. That's what's so nice. It's, like, being here, the um, invisibility and, like, the anonymity. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. love it. I love it mm-hmm. so much. And then I'll go back. Even just like, you know, the small talk here, everyone just knows what it's for. Be polite, get out. If it happens longer on a nice day, that's fine. But it's like, and I went back to Oklahoma um, and I was waiting in line at a fucking like Starbucks inside of a Target. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And this lady in front of me just turns around. She's like, how you doing? Like, are you from, what are you doing? It's all about. And I was, I just so immediately was so overwhelmed. I was like, oh my God, I forgot what this is like, like. I can't, I can't handle that because it feels so fake where it's like, I've always been impatient and New York Uh is a really good place where it's like, yeah, we don't have time for this. (laughs) Like, listen, life's too short. I don't know you. I don't want to talk to you. (laughs) A couple weeks ago, I was like with the two kids I nanny, they like hit each other or something. And so I was like, yo, yo, yo. Like I was like clearly like reprimanding them being like, let's talk about this. This old ass lady comes over with this gorgeous dog and she's like, pet my dog. And I was like, 
What I love about New York, what I'm trying to say is what I love about New York is how I you get to also be mean to strangers. Because I was like, ma'am, <laughs> clearly shit is going down. Like, what are you doing? And honestly, I don't know if she was like fully there because she was like, let them pet my dog. How old are they? And I was like, I don't give a fuck. How old are you? Get the fuck out of my face. Like, you're making this worse. Or the other day I had this man. We were like, like why are you approaching the- a bunch of kids? <laughs> right? Yeah, kids that you don't know. We were like in the subway and I was, they were walking behind me because I like to make sure like that they're not, there's not like a train coming or like I can like push out the way of people for kids. Cause also no one looks out for kids in the subway. And I also, I'm like, oh my God, being good. on the like, subway with learn. kids sounds terrifying. It's the kind of the worst. Uh, but this guy who also like kind of wasn't fully there was like, whose kids are these? Like they should be in your front. And I was like, sir, get the fuck out of my face. I will do what the fuck I want with these children that sounds weird but it's like i you're a stranger i don't care i don't have to be polite to you you're not being polite to me and i love that as someone who's like super polite like i've been you know it's been indoctrinated in me of like how nice i have to be um and new york allows me to be bitchy and like stand up for myself too i love that this episode's become like a love letter to new york and kind of death yeah <laughs> that's my dating life i'm dating new york death all my thoughts my existential crises and occasionally i'll date somebody for like three months <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite um icebreakers because i don't like idle chit chat it makes me really uncomfortable because i feel like i do it bad and then i get quiet and then i'm like well now they just think i'm weird and i am weird <laughs> and i'm totally okay with that but i don't want them to know right away or like what type of weird Same. i am <laughs> Right. So one of my favorite questions to ask people, and I do this a lot and my friends will be like, please stop. But I will ask, like, if you could choose how you would die, how would you die? Like, what would you do? And most of the answers are different from every other person's. It's really interesting. I'd always thought it would be like the same answer. But there's been like some different like people been like, I want to die in a plane crash. And I was like, Jesus Christ, like you're psychotic. What? Mm-hmm. People I- out of their fucking my it's like i've <laughs> never been no that is so wild no in your sleep obviously in your sleep Hello? i had one person one person say i want to get shot in the back of the head so i don't see it coming and i was like you could also say in your sleep like in your that sleep. is the Mm-hmm. Listen, and this is where I'm gonna turn into a nine-year-old. Video games in the Hollywood is <laughs> corrupted. Are you a violence? It's like so crazy. And people in general, like I always look at risk takers and I'm like, absolutely not. Like those people who sleep off the side of mountains and the people who like just do shit like that. I have I don't even like horror movies because it's like I have enough fear in my life. I'm scared mm-hmm. all the time. I'm anxious all the time. <laughs> I've never needed anything to boost that. That's never been fun to me. People get their little <laughs> jollies off on that. I'm like, listen, it that must be nice, like to just watch it and feel totally detached. When I watch shit, I think about it happening to me. I don't need to have those images in my head. I really don't get off on that. And then people are like, just love the thrill they're like yeah imagine dying in a plane crash i have i have several times several times every time i'm on a plane i imagine it so no i don't want that to happen absolutely not absolutely, absolutely not. not i just couldn't imagine this like the complete nosedive and anytime i'm about no, to the take terror. a flight, the terror i just um he was my husband that said that he was like i just want a moment where i can come to peace with it and i was like are you, are you gonna come to peace with uh in that scenario but every I get single time of turbulence i come to peace with death every single time I, there's like turbulence i sit there and i go 
if this is my time, I've lived a good life. I'm grateful. Like, it's like, <laughs> I do the same exact so thing dark. before. No, I do the same exact thing before the flight like goes up. I'm always like, mm-hmm. there's a chance you could die. You've lived a good life. You're happy, you know, mm-hmm. or I'll be like, are you happy? Is there anything you want to change if you live after this flight? <laughs> like, is there anything different you want to do? Um, I truly think about death so much, like so, so much. I was reading this one book. I think it's called, um, where is it? A girl, girl, woman, and other. And it's like an anthology. And this one, there's this one line in one of the stories that's like, um, she's older and she's like, someone's talking about how, you know, they miss their youth. And she was like, oh, but it's such a gift to grow old. And or something like mm-hmm. that. The, and the line fucking like crushed me because it was like, I have been so afraid to lose my youth. I have been afraid of what, like, is it time for Botox? Is it time? Like, and what does that say about me? And then here's this one line being like, but you don't even know if you get to go that far or even like mm-hmm. care about that. You could just die. Who fucking knows? It's such a privilege to grow old. That's what I tell yes. myself where it's like when I get worried about stuff like that. And it's another way that society robs us of mm-hmm. like enjoying that privilege. Like I think men get to enjoy getting older whereas women know that we have a sort of uh externally imposed like expiration date for our physical Mm -hmm. beauty but I just think that like the more that we just decide not to subscribe to that the better it gets where it's like because you just see so many beautiful women like who look so different and like who age so differently And then you see people who have had the surgery or like maybe who look more societally acceptable, but they're not beautiful because they really have such Mm -hmm. self-hatred sometimes. I'm not saying everyone who gets plastic surgery hates themselves. I really don't believe that. I think there's a ton of pressure just even on women to look a certain way to be taken seriously professionally. So I don't like, I don't judge people who do that. I just think like, it's like so cheesy to say that beauty comes from the outside or the inside (laughs) beauty comes from the outside (laughs) beauty comes from the inside but you can feel it where it's like I'll hate myself so much and then I'll get to a point where I just really like myself that day or like you know I'm thinking like I'm really liking who I am and I kind of go out in the world that way and people react to it like it's like a magnetic Mm -hmm. energy like and I'm like nothing physically has changed about me it just mm-hmm. is how I feel about myself. And like, it's how you feel when you're looking at someone and you're just like so attracted to them. And like, you know, people look all sorts of different ways. Like, but I don't know, maybe that's just my like demisexuality or whatever. I really think I'm like demisexual. <laughs> so then sometimes I'll like say things like that. And then like my friend will be like, no, some people are just hot and they have really bad personalities. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, okay. I think I've never really had that with people. Like I genuinely like, there could be people who are like so stereotypically hot and I Mm -hmm. just don't find them attractive because I don't like who they are. Like, Mm -hmm. or I'm just not, even if sometimes I like who they are as a friend, like I'm just not like attracted to their personality. And then I genuinely like don't really find them physically attractive. And so then I, I was like, I think that is like demisexuality like I think <laughs> so I don't so. know yeah and I mean that's you know honestly that's probably the way to go right like care more <laughs> about personality absolutely and it is like 
it de- I think I agree. Like, I think like someone's personality can change the whole vibe and energy. And like, that's what like charisma is. Like charisma is just like, it's, it's how... Riz, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's Riz. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> I love that word. Um, And how like I such, I fall for charisma all the fucking time. Or just the fact, if I look back at all the like ugly comedians I fucked, it's like, I found you uh, really that's funny. That's my thing is like, I just like humor and banter and it just... Mm-hmm. Uh, is a path to emotional unavailability but <laughs> when you said like um, when you said like what if um you have like a really great like text banter but it turns out there's no like chemistry or something like that like I've been in that like I had like a long-term textual like sexual relationship with this guy who we knew each other in high school but reconnected um after college so I was like my first year in the city and he was somewhere I'm just gonna say in the midwest and we did this for like a year. And it was like, it was like, we're not boyfriend and girlfriend, but you like, we say good mornings to each other and good night. Like, it's just, you're the only, you're like mm-hmm. my person. And then finally, cause we were both broke. I finally flew out to him cause it'd be cheaper. And the sex was just so bad. Like it was so bad. And we were young and it was just like, there's no like inner, like face-to-face personality. It was like clearly like destined to like, crash and burn and then I was kind of like I I think we should like be a couple and then he was like no and like so within like 24 (laughs) hours of like going to the Midwest like flying to the Midwest thinking I could like move to this like state that I would never want to live in um Kansas and like (laughs) I've actually like I actually like never talk about this I've never written about it I've never talked about it that's how bad the patriarchy is we're almost moving ourselves (laughs) to Kansas I truly was like so down to like move to Kansas. I was like, if he's in, I'm in because he was like still in college. And it was just like, oh, I just made like, it's not like we made it up in our heads, really. But it was just kind of like, it's so much easier to do this, Mm -hmm. right? It's so much. And I fully like full blown fell in love with him. And like, it's part of the reason why I've never really talked about it, because I felt like super embarrassed. And just also like, it felt like my first love needed to be like preserved. But it was also like, this was dumb. Like, you just were on no, a phone. No, I feel you. Yeah. I feel it you. Probably will. And, and it is just like you said, the patriarchy of like, we're just so ready to just like give it all up for like a man or a relationship. And it's like, and you luckily, can be so romantic and the attention and stuff. And like, also it's like you said, like, you know, I'm a little bit socially anxious and awkward and have a hard time being vulnerable and like things like that. And so mm-hmm. like something about the, texting or something about it just makes it feel like you can be more open and I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm kind of who I am on Twitter on text like I'm kind of the same person that I am all around like but not everybody is necessarily or there's just you know I don't know I feel like early COVID like I was in a situation where I got yeah really attached to sort of the idea of someone and it is hard because it feels so real and then it feels mm. kind of so confusing and weird when like it just kind of poofs you know mm-hmm. so I kind of since then I've been like I won't get too into it texting with somebody like it's like we either have to like be in person like I won't do the thing like where you just text and text and text because it just it fucked me up honestly (laughs) no 
I totally but get those that. were the days we were all just so like on our phones and like inside mm-hmm. and like I wasn't seeing a lot of people and so it makes and it's like the wartime and like you know pandemic like that type of like I've kept feeling like it just makes you seek connection like it was such a confusing mm-hmm. time where you're like figuring out who your friends are and like what is going on like I think I was pursuing comedy with such tunnel vision for so long that when COVID hit I kind of was like who are my real friends and kind of gravitated towards people like and formed community from that that I'm really grateful for but at mm-hmm. the time like I think I was just kind of looking to something about yeah, yeah like feeling like you were like falling in love like just was felt good like felt good at mm-hmm. the time but also had a lot of anxiety carried with it as well mm-hmm. and I'm still kind of fucked up over like like certain things so it's hard because yeah if anyone can if anyone can take anything away from this podcast do not get into a texting situation chip I really learned my lesson with that one I will say I never learned my lesson Every like person I dated or like was hooking up with, we were very text heavy. Even my now husband, um, Aaron, who you met, um, we, I, we went on a first date and then I was like literally the next day going to Connecticut to like nanny. And so I was just kind of out of the city for a whole summer. I, I was able to come in and out a lot for the weekends, but I was like, oh shit, I'm in like a long distance relationship again. And we're texting like crazy. Um, and then I just kind of was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like if it works out, it works out if it doesn't. Cause like, I just kind of realized how important it was for me to be able to constantly text and like double text and triple text. And we're still like that today. Like I text, I text them a lot. I'm doing this cause my phone's right over here. I still Um, like texting. Like once I'm actually like with somebody, I think I just mm kind of realized to not do it, but that's the thing too. Like, I know why I liked it. I know I would still probably like it where it's like, there's something Mm kind of just fun it's like writing letters to each other it's like old timey like it, it <laughs> like, is it's a little old timey one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little yeah. old timey it's a little like oh you have to like you know connect emotionally and like mentally first but also i don't know if you're like me it keeps people at like an arm's length of like we exactly that's and what that's i realized it was toxic like, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like once and why once i you, like that Oh, same. Exactly. Like I like had a crush on someone that lived like in a different country for a minute. And I was like, oh, I see why you're doing this because this will never be I kept doing something that, that can hurt over you. Over and over. I kept having mm-hmm. crushes on people either like in different states or different countries. And like, but I also know that I have crushes on people in different countries because I'm trying to reverse 90 day fiance my way out of here. <laughs> ASAP. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm like, listen, I don't want to move to England. I don't know if that would be any better. So I'm looking maybe someone Irish, maybe someone from Barcelona, maybe, um, you know, I'll go anywhere really. So I'm like, so, but then I decided I'm like, listen, I can still date these, these people, but maybe they can live in New York, at least for the beginning of our relationship. <laughs> I mean, you could go back to Scotland and always do French, you know, and then you don't have to (laughs) pay out of pocket for living. Exactly. I can just go to Fringe every year until I find a clown to settle down with me. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm trying to find someone who will actually be able to sort of do our taxes. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, just use just use brass taxes. They're great. 
my husband my <laughs> husband doesn't do with it. an artist and just use TurboTax. <laughs> i will say for artists i love like a um so my husband is creative he we sometimes do comedy together we haven't a long time but his day job is not comedy um he always asks me not to say what it is on the podcast um but i can tell you later and i will like i like i highly recommend this career for for a for a spouse for someone in the arts very like mm-hmm. it, it's well i mean aaron can you just um bleep this out he's a he's a so he gets mm-hmm. like so he gets breaks but he also has a big part of um understanding of community in new york city um and it's very totally. important to him because it's not private school i would not say go for a private school i'd go public school so they see like the ins and outs yeah. um and I'm the only thing at that I'm like, I want to date like a tenant lawyer or like, you know, mm-hmm. like, one time I got that, I like talked to this guy um, who was my friend just gave me his number because he's a tenant lawyer and I was having issues with my old landlord. And we like, he just gave me advice for like an hour. And I was like, I am in love with you. Like, the competency <laughs> of like, mm-hmm. oh my God. Like I was, it's, that's what I'm into. It's just like, confidence competency humor like because like those people are always like really have this like dark monotone humor too which I just find Mm. so funny like oh my god there was this girl who was on the zoom call giving legal advice and I'm like going closer to my screen like like I'm like (laughs) something so hot about it like but competence is really hot because it's kind of few and far between sometimes with comedians too you know especially dude comedians you don't see it very often um and just someone who also understands like other people exist i think that's really important or like someone that has to work with other people um because you know being creative can be so solo um, yeah sort of being considerate on a basic level sadly was not a standard i had until my 30s but once i put that into my dating standards it's really made dating a lot better for me like (laughs) I don't date that much but now when I do date someone they at least show interest in me and are considerate Mm -hmm. of how they make me feel (laughs) and I did not have that standard for a very long time so it's really helped it's a good one to have it's a good one to add to the list and it is I think it's one that really is uh looked over at first because you just, one, yeah. I think, like, you kind of assume people have that. And then you're like, oh, no, not everyone has, like, oh. basic common decency. No, especially oh. not men who are just see women as something that really adds to their life and something that makes them a better person and someone who comes in as a little emotional helper to get through all their shit. And then you're like, hey, could you be there for me for sort of, like, one minute? And they're like, oh, God, like, I really want to. I just don't know how to do that and it's like <laughs> and you even hear like us this this comedian posted this bit about like I love women they improve my life so much and I'm like now I'm just especially with men not entering into romantic relationships where that's the dynamic where they can come to me with all their problems but I stress them out the second mm-hmm. that I have needs and I'm a person you know because mm-hmm. I genuinely love hearing about their life, their family, their problems, mm-hmm. what they're feeling, what they're thinking about. Like when I'm into them, I want to know all of that. But then I feel like I have to hold myself back or else I'm like too intense for them. And it's the, mm-hmm. they don't realize like that that's part of the sexism where it's just like you 
dating is such a different thing for you because women improve your life so much and really mm -hmm. add to not only your value, but your quality of life. And they just put a ton of emotional labor on us, but that's mm -hmm. so blind to them. Like, that's, what's been frustrating to me is I'm like, you're putting, you put a ton of emotional labor while not like, you know, ever planning to really reciprocate it, but that is completely blind to you. So you're mm -hmm. just like, I'm a nice guy. Why does this keep happening to me? It's like, cause you're using women, you're mm -hmm. using women and like, mm -hmm. you don't see it that way because maybe you're not doing it sexually, but maybe you are doing it sexually as well. Some of these guys, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, I think that it's a hard line between what's just kind of dating and what is doing that. And I think that they don't, they don't realize that it's when like they just bring such like intense, you know, short-term intimacy into a situation, but then mm -hmm. dip out just as quick. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so, yeah. It's almost like, it's like not like a version of love bombing, but I feel like it's just like as bad as love bombing of just like they're in it and then they're out. And they have like that's... a lot of like female friends sometimes. And it's like, but even those have probably slightly romantic or flirty vibes where you're like mm. unloading on those girls a little bit. Like they want to have like this roster of women that they could be with, but like mm. are just friends with. It's like we're just friends. That's why I'm always mm -hmm. so suspicious when a guy like after being really intense romantic with me thinks we can just go into being best friends because mm -hmm. it's like, no, like you want to be flirty with me when you want to, you want to mm -hmm. ask emotional labor of me when you want to, but you don't want to feel any like responsibility or like, you know, romantic commitment to me. But then like, you see that as just friendship and you don't see that I'm not getting out of this friendship, anything except for pain, confusion, rejected feelings. Like, and I've just had honestly a few people do that to me where mm -hmm. they just don't understand where after why after being intensely emotionally intimate with me and making me feel that there was going to be romantic potential with us that then when they just abruptly shut off we can't just quote unquote be friends like you know no mm -hmm. I, I don't want you in my life I'm sorry I don't think you're a terrible person I'm not going to tell people that you're the worst guy that's ever lived but you're definitely not someone who can be in my life because you're not seeing the full picture of what's happened you know mm -hmm. No, it's a weird totally. pattern, especially with like the kind of artist type guys that I've gone through, just like musicians, comedians, like it's just kind of a pattern behavior. Like, so it's frustrating. It almost feels like they're overcorrecting. And so they're like, whoa, 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 I've done everything right. And it's like, no, you're still, you're still over here. And we need you here. And then it, it, it always would feel like, like you said, like they don't consider you like, you like the general you like as an equal it's like you're here to do this x y and z this and they would labor. think that like they would never think of themselves as someone who doesn't think of women as mm -hmm. equal but they're very blind to how their privilege works within the dating space like i think mm -hmm. they can understand violent misogyny and they can understand even maybe professional misogyny but they don't understand how it's playing into how they date and mm -hmm. It is like, I think a lot of these guys are not necessarily bad guys, but I think that's, it's like, keep saying it's the line between someone who's quote unquote nice, which when you're a man, that's anything being short of physically abusive and people mm -hmm. who are kind, people who really are considerate of their actions. I also think there's growing pains with 
this, I think, unfortunately, a lot of guys mature into the realization that, you know, they've hurt a lot of women. And it's not that I'm perfect. It's not that I've not hurt people. But I just, I feel like we are forced to take accountability and responsibility for it in a way, not always, Mm -hmm. but in a way that they can just, you know, I don't know, really be seen as nice guys, sort of regardless of how they act and a lot of it's insecurity and stuff too like they don't really know what they're doing and they're just kind of like but the playing dumb really gets to me because it's like you know this whole like I'm gonna be really intense and then whenever I stop you know you're gonna be like just this whole like oh what did I do like oh I'm sorry I didn't mean to do that and it's like Mm -hmm. but then you keep doing it so I can't really believe that because mm-hmm. if you actually cared that you hurt me, you wouldn't have done it to other women, you know, the same exact thing. So 100%. I'm just annoyed with that specific type of guy, like the fuck boy that still gets to be thought of as a nice guy. And it's mm-hmm. like, I'm kind of always the girl that's like, you don't get to be friends with me. And I don't think of you as a nice person. And I think they're really put off by that because society tells them how you act in dating will never reflect on your reputation personally, you know, unless mm-hmm. you hit a woman or unless you're really emotionally abusive. And I'm just kind of like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And I like, I say this all the time on the podcast, like, cause I think this is a really good topic. Like never ever settle just for a nice guy because like, he doesn't like, you know, he's not emotionally abusive or he doesn't hit one mm-hmm. thing I did that was wild, but it really worked. It's so, so dumb but it shows a lot about the dude really quickly is I would call them kiddo. Like I'd be like, <laughs> sup kiddo. Um, do we have plans today, kiddo? Because I wanted to see if they could handle kind of being emasculated by a woman um, <laughs> and be okay with that kind of power dynamic. Um, because so much of this too is like a me, power I'm dynamic. Like, they always treat me like mommy. So I'm the opposite. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, what's up, bro? <laughs> bro. <laughs> I'll just like, especially like, I'll just turn so, yeah. I, uh, I'm i so tired of like, I feel like people think I'm going to be like their mommy. I'm like, no, dude. Mm-mm. No, I'm not and that interested. Just, it just sucks so much. There's still so many people out there that feel like that's what a partner is or does is that it makes like, your life easier and it's like yeah in a good relationship you both make each each other's life easier uh but it just can't be one-sided like it has to be you're not completing this person you're complimenting them you are highlighting their their best features and vice versa but there is like you said there's just so many people missing that it's like it just can't go one and we rush into it because especially as women like the pressures and what we feel as societal judgment where it's like Mm. i it's hard. It's hard being single and stuff sometimes. But honestly, like, I know from experience that it's harder for me when I'm in an incompatible relationship than being Mm -hmm. alone. And I think a lot of people really just either would rather be or don't see any other option than being Mm -hmm. in incompatible relationships, because waiting for and searching for compatible relationships is difficult and takes time Mm -hmm. and isn't perfect and is messy and you know I think especially like I I personally don't think that I want kids like Mm -hmm. you know that might change but like I right now I'm 34 I don't think that I want kids 
So that once I kind of really realized that, because I have a niece and nephew that I love so much. And I also love when playtime is over and I give them back. And like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like when I'm old, I can have that relationship with the next generation with them. I feel really close with them, but I just don't think personally, I want my own kids. And again, that could change, you know, but I, it, once I realized that it took so much of the pressure off of me in terms of like, I need to find my permanent life partner now. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's also hard as I understand why people might convince themselves like of certain relationships working because there is sort of an age cap on when you can have kids as a woman. And um, so I get that. It's just, I'm really grateful. Like we talked about to just be a part of a generation where that pressure is less because even for my mom's generation, I think they were the people where, okay, they were, I mean, abusive relationships still happen, of course. And a lot, I think that, you know, the women of the 50s were just absolutely silenced in terms of their abuse at home. And then you have people in like the 70s and 80s where there's still extreme pressure to get married. But it's more of this, oh, you married a nice guy. And then the pain is that they're probably not really in love, you know, and then Mm -hmm. you start to get more divorce happening and things like that. And then now I think like you have a generation of women, not all women, but a lot of women saying like, we will not commit to you until you prove yourself to be a good partner until you actually prove yourself to improve my life rather than just expecting me to improve yours. Cause that's a given honestly. And so then that's why you have some of these. And I think some men are, are going to step up to task and realize that they have to grow and they, this is how they can find true partnership because misogyny isolates them as well as we've all heard. Like, but then you have the other men who are like, oh, we should get rid of no contest divorce. Uh, you know, like they're like, wait, women have standards. We need to make that illegal. We should have never let them have bank accounts. Like, you know, that's where the fear comes because if they have to improve, mm-hmm. that was never the deal for so many of them in their mind. The idea that mm-hmm. they would be undateable by not being good partners. And I think that's where you see a lot of incel culture spring up and sort of blaming women for having standards and things like that so Mm -hmm. I think it just shows that things are progressing I mean slowly but surely two steps forward one and three quarters step back with every generation in every issue honestly so yeah yeah, yeah, I mean, you nailed it. Like we've, our standards have gotten higher. I, I think I've said this, this same sentence in the past three episodes, and I think it's really important, but like, I feel like our generation, especially the women, um, or anyone who identifies as a woman, um, is now calling bullshit on a lot of stuff mm-hmm. of like all these lies that like, especially like, I feel like our moms were taught and especially like with children and partnership of like, you have to have kids by this age. You have to have this by this age. You let go of your career for four to five years and you come back into the workforce and everything's fine. And none of that's true. Right. Like, I think it's a very fair thing to not want kids. And I actually think it's very, very important to have people that don't want kids too. Cause then we can get back to this like village mentality. Um, and also totally. that, no one should, if you don't want to have a kid, absolutely not. Take all that time. You don't even have to babysit your nieces and nephews ever. Like, again, general you, but like to try to punish women for being like, you know what? That's not for me. Um, it's the, fucking yeah, wild. The, the idea of, that's why I like people not calling it pro-life anymore and calling it forced birth because that's mm-hmm. really, it's really what it is where it just is not good for anybody because people that have resulted from forced birth situations, some are okay, thank God. But a lot have really deep 
emotional issues, like where, you know, forcing people to become parents, because even people who want to become parents are not perfect parents. Parenting Mm -hmm. is impossible to be perfect at. You're going to fuck that kid up. It's part Mm -hmm. of like the hard truth of it because it's the most extreme form of love, but you also, it bears with it a lot of responsibility and guilt. I think that sort Mm -hmm. of is part of my reasoning in terms of why it might not be for me, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that when you force people, especially young people, causes a lot of neglect, it causes a lot of violence, and it causes, you know, also the the person who had the child to go through really extreme trauma as well. And the Mm -hmm. whole thing is, is that that person's life isn't supposed to matter as long as the kid come as long as the kid is born. And of course, Mm -hmm. the kid completely abandoned by the system as soon as they are born, the Mm -hmm. system that forced it to be born. So Mm -hmm. I think that's so much of the conversation too, is that people who give birth are not not people. The baby is the person, the fetus is Mm -hmm. the person more than the person giving birth. And that's where you also see a lot of like people standing up and saying, you know, my rights as someone who has a womb is just as important as what can result from, you know, from that, like, but there are people who just don't see that because that's where we're so obsessed with innocence and this and that like you see it in every conversation that's happening right now around the globe who gets to be innocent who gets to be worthy of life you know mm-hmm. and I think so much of it comes down to that this is why like I cannot casually date because I'll be I'll go from silly conversation to the most like I'm like whoever I end up with just has to be able to ride these waves with me because I can't date people who are too serious because Mm -hmm. I have to you know I have to be funny and that's how I deal with life but I can't date people where it's just like let's just keep everything silly and fun because like I gotta also get into this shit like all Mm -hmm. the time like it's what I'm thinking about all the time and the social theory and connecting the dots so it's like finding people who can ride that out with me and then of course this is when I realized my own emotional unavailability because I'll, I'll find somebody that kind of can ride that out with me and I'm like mm, I don't know <laughs> I'm like something about it it's just not gonna work like so <laughs> well we also just know Oh, we, we all have our shit, but also know, because you're like, I just need someone that can write it out with me, that these are really good qualities to have that that you are That's able true to. Too. When you're like a smart woman, they make you feel like you're always going to be too much. And it's like, I'm, I meet more and more men all the time and people who are like, not only like, am I not overwhelmed? Like, this is what I really like about you. And I'm like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. I need to not hate myself so much. Like, no. And it's, again, it's internalized misogyny that we all have to constantly battle. But like, this is I what you just said, I think a lot of people want. They want someone that can be serious when it's necessary, but can also find the humor in some dark moments, especially now, like, since we were kids, we have dealt with, you know, Y2K, 9-11, <laughs> one great recession, two great recessions, COVID, like the amount of shit we've already gone through. If and I don't, and I'm not even making this a joke. Like, I don't think if I could find like humor in my day-to-day life, I would think I would be suicidal. I don't, mm-hmm. I think I would not be okay. And so, yeah, it is important to have that person that can, you know, 
maybe they'll balance you out sometimes when it's like, hey, I hear you. It's time to be silly. Or like, maybe we need to, yeah. you know, this rent They're or always something. like, oh, get you. Like, chill though. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I used to always say the same shit about myself too, that I was just too much or too weird or too intense or too this, or no one's going to want to date someone that talks about their sex life 24-7. And my, my husband's only request is that I don't say what he does, like, as a, mm-hmm. as a profession on the podcast or on shows, or sometimes I'll be like, oh, I should go double check that he's okay with me talking about him, like coming in my hair, you know, and he was fine <laughs> with it, you know, like that person exists. And like, you bring so much to the table. But I think like society likes to be like, well, you're 34. Have you really brought it to the table? Like what yeah. is this a you problem? And I and felt more not. that way ironically like in my late 20s like when I was approaching my 30s I felt then like oh I really need to find a partner and then like you know something really shifted in me in terms of yeah me realizing that like as hard as it is sometimes to be alone I know I'm way more unhappy Mm. being in sort of bad or incompatible relationships and it just like made me feel so much freer you know Mm -hmm. just really opened up my whole life and just made me live for myself in a way that I thought that I was doing before, but realized that because I felt so incomplete without a partner that I wasn't really fully allowing myself to, you know, be that way. And it it helps sometimes when you see like certain like people's relationships, like where they're just like bickering all the time. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't want that. I don't want to be that. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to just be so desperate to date somebody that I'm at a party, like being like, okay, babe, but I said that we should leave. So I don't like, I'm just like that. I don't want that. I want, I want a partner who's my best friend for sure. Like I know what I'm looking for. And like you said, like, I know what I bring to the table and I'm just kind of now just looking for compatibility. I think it's also, you're trained everybody is trained to see dating as an ego game and a game of rejection versus um, winning. You know, I feel like I really Mm -hmm. used to try and win people and realized I wasn't really being my full self because I was so scared of like scaring them away and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then of course, then it's like, then you are your full self in a situation and they reject you and you're like, okay, well, that's why I wasn't doing that before. It didn't work. Yeah. So it's like, it's always, it's just, it's hard. And I think like, we are are so discouraged from talking about things. And I also think hookup culture, like made things really hard for me, because I don't think that I, I know that I don't like hookup culture, but it's been the dating culture that I've lived in since college. So I used to pressure myself to hook up a lot. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think that casual sex, like, can be good but I'm looking for the intimacy so when I finally realized like oh I'm feeling way worse after casual sex than I even feel when I'm just not having sex at all Mm -hmm. it was like okay as hard as that is and as crazy as I feel as everybody around me is hooking up and dating and you know doing stuff like that I'm like it just isn't for me like realizing what's for you you know and realizing like oh I just enjoy sex so much better when there's intimacy when I the person's gonna stay afterwards when we're gonna Mm -hmm. get brunch the next day like you know I can I can't enjoy sex the same way if I know that they're gonna give me a high five and leave afterwards you know like 
So especially when, if they didn't, like I had so many hookups where like they came and I didn't. And I, I think that just feels so degrading after a while where you're having hookups where you're just leaving so unsatisfied, but they got to get their rocks off and it just feels sexist. Like you just feel used. Like, so it was a big shift in me, but it kind of started with COVID because, you know, you couldn't hook up for like years Mm -hmm. and um, yeah, like sometimes it's hard, like, but I do just feel better than when I would like get drunk and hook up with somebody and then just, really crave a relationship and intimacy the next day you know but not with them just like with somebody so it makes it really hard when you're a girly who's not into hookup culture the world's going to tell you that you're like a crazy prude who should lower your standards and I just finally loved myself enough to be like because some people hookup culture is for them people are different sexually i know mm-hmm. plenty of women who can get off in casual situations and then they should have ca- they should do whatever the fuck they want mm-hmm. like hell yeah i wish i fucking could make my life so much better so much better <laughs> but you're right i feel like situationships have made things really blurry too mm-hmm. it was like another weird so like you brought up covid like so covid happened People started cutting the bullshit out of like, you know, platonic relationships, romantic relationships. And it was like, this is what I want. So you saw a lot of people bow up really quickly or boo up, boo up really quickly. Um, <laughs> and now some are married. But then when whatever, I can't remember what hor- what summer was like super horny in New York City. There was like a really horny New York City summer because it was like finally safe. We were like finally mm-hmm. could like really like relax, like actually like exhale. And then I feel like situationships just like blew up and like they always existed. But then it came like, it was like a situationship isn't just casual sex. It's like we do like each other, but, but one or maybe both don't want to like make the final plunge, which again, works for some people but now it feels like that's kind of like the norm or like the expectation it's so confusing Mm -hmm. because it's like to me like it is it's hard because I can't say that I've never entered into a situation and then two months later been like I don't think this is going to work out so I don't think that's like an evil thing for either person to Mm -hmm. do but it's the clarity and the you know are you sort of stringing them along while trying to keep them as an option while doing your own thing and it's the immature gaslighting of just like oh are you hurt by this I'm sorry babe and it's like I feel like you can do whatever you want as long as you take responsibility for yourself and so many people regardless of gender don't they just Mm -hmm. will not take responsibility for themselves in a dating space and so it makes the whole scene really hard because you don't know who you're entering into a situationship with. Are you entering it with into somebody who's going to be respectful, even if they have to end it? Or are you mm-hmm. entering into it with somebody who consciously or not seems to be sort of getting off on confusing you and sort of keeping you as an option, even when you can sense they're not into you anymore, you mm-hmm. know? And that I think is just so hard because the answer was never patriarchy and sort of you know all this forced romanticism but I just you know I think the answer is people just taking responsibility for themselves and acknowledging how their privilege functions within dating spaces and I'm not only applying that to men I think that that can apply when you're a white person who's dating people who aren't white like you know Mm -hmm. I think that it can apply to a lot of different things but Mm -hmm. 
people need and, and also applies to friendships where it's like we're learning we've learned a lot and like should have learned earlier and so you need to apply it to interpersonal relationships your your values and your morals mm -hmm. and I think some people just don't see it that way they're just mm -hmm. kind of like I don't know like it really kind of drives me crazy because I don't want to feel like judgy or like self-righteous but I just do feel that people are really careless about their um actions like dating and sexually a lot mm -hmm. you know I mean it, it literally it really just boils down to like responsibility and respect like uh if someone respects you in a platonic relationship they're gonna treat you a certain way if someone respects you in an emotional romantic relationship they're gonna treat you a special uh, not special way a certain way and um that is the most important to, for me at least it's the most important puzzle piece of any type of relationship and this is also this what you just said this conversation is is why i said like before we started recording like a lot of times like it's this these episodes are, are just about like relationships whatever they may be because they all and I don't know if maybe COVID made us kind of see it, how they're all the same and should be treated with so much, like so similarly with that same type of respect of mm -hmm. their time, of their energy, of are we trauma dumping on our friends? Like, are we emotionally using our friends and not being there for them? Like, and I think that's why we saw a lot of friendships fall apart. Mm -hmm. because that's what was happening or like when you said I needed to look for like my community because I realized like if you know I don't have comedy if I can't physically do this like who who do I have and like how important Who's, our yeah. communities are um but it is it's so much and it's so heavy and so deep and but luckily we see all these examples around us of like it does work and it is it does exist mm -hmm. I mean we definitely see shitty relationships and uh, especially like romantic and friend like you'll see friend relationships and you're just like do you two like each other like the why friend of me should I can like how did this not fall apart before because that is like mm -hmm. some of the yeah like it's it's really hard in friendships as well but when there's incompatibility there as well like mm -hmm. it just sometimes is what it is like mm -hmm. it's really it is I think that this is where we saw a lot of recognition with people in terms of how community and actions and how we relate to each other while also keeping in mind we're not going to be perfect like that's why mm -hmm. you know you have a conversation like I struggle with avoidance like I think I've had friendships fall apart because you know but then there's also sometimes where you're like it's not really compatible so I don't mm -hmm. know how to you know solve it but I do think it's like people can fuck up and you can work through things, but it's also sometimes situations aren't compatible and it can mm -hmm. be really, really hard to know what's what. And I don't think it's all black and white. Like that's the problem, but yeah. I think it can start from just people. Like, I just don't like this culture of just like, you know, gotta look out for me only and like blah, blah, blah. And it's like, listen, you do have to put yourself first but we can't neglect how we treat others and how we make other people feel. And it's like COVID was so interesting because it's like it made some people worse in one area and some people better in another. You know, I feel like some mm -hmm. people got more selfish and some people got more community oriented. And I think community is what we have to turn to. Like mm -hmm. if shit breaks down, 
community stays. Like that's what I realized during COVID when you can't trust the federal government, when you can't trust any systems really to look out for you, you have to have community and you have to have, you know, local engagement in that way. And that Mm -hmm. includes interpersonal friendships and that includes interpersonal relationships and how we treat each other. But as Americans, especially we aren't built that way. <laughs> like we aren't taught that way. So, no. you know, we're really, I think... we're... Oh, go on. Sorry. No, no, that, that's it. That's it. Um, I didn't say you're right. We really, Americans aren't taught that way. I, when you were like, we're not perfect. I was like, yeah, I used to full blown, just like ice people out when they pissed me off, like would just stop mm-hmm. talking and like, that's not okay. And then like, yeah, just learning like what I needed. And yeah, I think when you build that community too, it, it forced me at least to see what steps I had to start making to make sure that I was, you know, a valuable piece of this equation and, you know, important for like my friends and, and, you know, selected family that I wanted to be there and things were like that. And it really did just highlight like a lot of toxic shit. And you had the choice of do I, you know, lean into the toxic or do I, does mm-hmm. it get messy and you work on it? And that's what we really It's saw. actually, because that's one thing that's been really funny talking to people is like, I, and not that I'm like perfect or I've like gotten to be this amazing person, but I, I spent so much of COVID like intensely confronting things about myself and trying to heal and trying to grow and really like move into this new space with myself. And then I was like talking to somebody and I'm just kind of like, yeah, I think we all kind of did that. And she goes, no, 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 (laughs) not everybody did that. (laughs) I was like kind of realizing like, oh yeah, like some people are sort of not breaking generational curses. Some people are, are coasting, writing them out. You know, mm-hmm. repeating them and being like, what? <laughs> so and, I'm grateful to have taken that space and grateful for all the people who did as well. And also I have to remind myself that I can't I can't put that on everybody. Not everybody <laughs> sat there and, you know, really intensely thought about things like, you know, not everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it goes back to like, I used to be like really angry about like certain people and now like years have moved. I'm like, then maybe that's just not where they were ready to be. And exactly. maybe one day they will, or maybe they don't. And you know what? It's not my problem. It's not my responsibility. That's something I have to say to myself every day. Like I just put in, I just put in my two weeks at the, the uh, place I'm babysitting. Cause I got a full-time job with like maternity leave and stuff. And it's like, nice. that's, you know, we want to start trying. And I had, I was so nervous. Cause I was like, I really like these people. They're really great people. They're great kids. And my husband had to be like, it's not your responsibility. Like you were doing a job and you're giving them notice. Like it's not mm-hmm. your responsibility. Uh, but it's that need of like, I need them to still like me. I don't want them to be mad at me after I made 100%. a choice for myself. Yeah. Just so I still much struggle shit. with that all the time. And then especially with jobs, it's hard because they truly don't care if you die at your desk. And yep. then I'm sitting there being like, oh, like, are they going to be mad that I'm quitting this job where they've been abusing me for $16 an hour for the last mm-hmm. like, two years, you know, like, so it is, it's like, I think a part of me like I never want to lose my empathy or like feeling like trying, like I'm sensing how other people like might feel or how I'm causing to make them feel. But I also have really tried to consider who I'm being over considerate for. And if they would do the same 
back for me. Like, I don't think it should be transactional. I don't think it should be conditional, but I was, I was pouring a lot into situations and things without realizing, like, I was thinking that if I just did it enough, I would eventually get the treatment I was giving back. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very much how we're trained both personally and professionally as women. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so shifting that is also a thing because then I realized I can give as much as I always give in the situations where I feel cared for and taken care of. And I can hold myself back in situations where I don't feel the same level of care and -hmm. consideration, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that's been nice because I'm like, I don't have to lose my compassion. I can just be a bit more discerning about how much I give, how soon, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's all a balance. It's all a balance. It's learning that like everything's gray and it's going to change for every situation. And just feeling like you said, I think that balance uh, will, it shifts for each scenario and just knowing where you stand and what is best for you and how you feel about how you're like treating people as well. You know, Mm -hmm. totally. Uh, This has been a great conversation. (laughs) I'm so glad I covered the whole world. I I love this. This is a great episode. I cannot thank you enough. Um, so what I do is I do an intro and outro. So I will definitely talk about evangelical, even though unfortunately it's going to come out um, after. It's going to come out, I think, Wednesday. But I will post all your socials. And like, truly, this is a great episode. I, I can't thank you enough. And also, course, I want to no, get you, you on... I want to get you on the live show. I've just really struggled getting like a monthly slot somewhere. So I can't like book mm-hmm. ahead. But I'm... Fingers crossed club coming, but we'll see if not. Um, oh, yeah. Club coming is really fun because then I can use their piano there. I love that. <gasps> oh, that'd be yeah. perfect. Okay. So, yeah. Fingers crossed. I have a, sh- a show with them soon. So, hopefully they like that one and I can start. I can be like, please, Julian, just yeah. give me give me a monthly. Give me a cat. Cohen I know, slot. Yeah. Give me a every like, other. One. Yeah. <laughs> one of these days. <laughs> I love that. One of these days. Well, thank you so much for having me. This was a really yeah. nice conversation. I feel like I got a lot off my chest you know Mm -hmm. a lot of thoughts articulated yay remember to follow marcia at marcia ski spelled marcia s-k-y on all the socials go find her videos go find her stand-up live or online thank you so much again marcia for being on the show remember to rate like subscribe review email me i don't know awkward sex in the city at gmail.com some of them have gone to spam so i'm sorry i have missed a couple because i just never check spam but i do see them i respond uh unless you sound really weird and yeah I'll see you guys next episode. Talk soon. XOXO Gossip Girl.